0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today.
1: hopefully by now you've got to Psalm 21 as we continue on in the Psalms. And the Psalms themselves divide into five books of the Psalms. So we're still in book one. I think it goes all the way through Psalm 41. Almost all of the early Psalms are written by David. Sometimes I think of the Psalms since they were meant to be sung as uh, like five different uh, albums. (laughs) You know, uh, there's the, there's the first album by David and then there's the second one. And then Uh, Some people doing tribute things uh, after the days of David that are in the spirit of David, the Psalms of David, they say stop, there's still one or two of David after that, you know, but uh, they just build on each other as they go and really cover the history uh, of David all the way out to other times of the kings and the way God was working in Israel's history. I like to think of it like this. The prophets give us many of the sermons uh, going on during the time of the kings and uh, overlapping into the time of captivity and coming back from captivity, and the poetic books give us some of the the popular uh, songs and the uh, you know uh, writings that were going on during that time. And so you get uh, you learn a lot about people when you listen to what they have on the radio and what they're reading, you know. You can learn a lot about America that way, and we can learn about, a lot about the time of the kings. These are the sermons they were listening to, the prophets uh, talking to them about what the law said and how they were departing from it. And so now we come in, Psalm, uh, in the book of Psalms to Psalm 21, and it says in the New King James, joy in the salvation of the Lord, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And then verse one says, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, And in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Stop and think about this. Verse 3, For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad in your presence. Well, that's a good statement, isn't it? For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men for they intended evil against you they devised a plot which they are not able to perform therefore you will make them turn their back you will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces be exalted O lord in your own strength we will sing and praise your power psalm 21. so the heading lets us know it's another psalm of david it's meant to be sung and I don't know if you heard it while I was reading. Kind of a dramatic first part and a second part. I mean, you could almost hear the, the mood shift mid psalm, and you really uh, sh- shows how easily this kind of divides into two halves. The first half expresses joyful gratitude for God's blessing to the redeemed. The second half describes God's eventual overthrow and judgment of the wicked who never repent. So the fill in the blank, if you got the notes there, uh, is the word um, eventual. Now interestingly, the phrase, in your strength, occurs in both halves. So God does show his strength by saving and upholding those who turn to him, but he also shows his strength by dealing with those who make themselves God's enemies. And so the notes are right there on the side, brother, as you grab a couple for you and your sweet wife so in your strength, you might want to find it in both halves and kind of um, uh, circle it or underline it there. In your strength, in your strength. So the first part, verses one through seven, joy and for those who delight in and trust. There's another fill in the blank. Those who delight in and trust in Yahweh. Verse one says, "The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice!" Now if it's good enough for a king of Israel, it's good enough for the king's subjects of the people of God. I kinda like years later when Nehemiah is encouraging the people. They, they've heard the word of God read and in Nehemiah's day they're brokenhearted because they realize they've sinned against the Lord and Nehemiah just shuts it down and he says, listen, uh, God has been good to us. He's brought us back to the land. He's helping us rebuild. We're not gonna make this a day of uh, sorrow. Uh, this is a day of joy because he's what it done. And Nehemiah, uh, verse eight ten says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And isn't that good to know? That God's a merciful God, he's forgiving, and uh, we go forward in his strength uh, whether we Uh, Whatever we face, some things are easier to face than others, some things are harder to face than others, but we go forward in his strength. So the first verse tells us the king is rejoicing. The next six verses tell us why. So a great opening statement there in verse 1, and then he goes forward with these other ones. And why? Verse 2, You've given the king his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Now, later in Psalm 37, 4, I've already actually mentioned it today, One of my favorite ones, David's gonna say, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what's the catch about that? Um, How can can God give that verse as a money back guarantee? Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When he becomes what you delight in, he's what you desire too, right? And so that goes beyond circumstances. You know, it doesn't mean if you delight yourself in the Lord, you get a brand new Harley Davidson. For those that would want one, someone in the Yamaha. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, if you delight yourself in the Lord, your team's going to win the championship. You may lose the championship. I'll tell you what, uh, this past weekend, um, you know, one of the things I like about sports is that it uh, shows, uh, uh, you know, character development and sometimes it shows uh, character weakness, you know. Um, So I was watching the NCAA wrestling, and wrestling, uh, as much as any sport that there is out there, you get exactly what you earn. (laughs) And not, not much more than that. I mean, the guys at the very top, I mean, they... Uh, they have uh, been wrestling a long time. They've put in those ten thousand hours to become a master, like the book, the the Tipping Point says. you got to to do to master something, you've got to do it for ten thousand hours. I mean, they they've done it. They've done it. They've done it. They've worked hard. They've uh, some of them are hungry because they're keeping their weight down to weigh in. And uh, in wrestling, you can even help your team by losing as long as you uh, don't get pinned. You know, so in dual meets, uh, you can lose by three or you can lose by six. If your team doesn't put out anybody out in that weight, um, then they get the other team gets six points in a forfeit. So the other team can get six points if they pin you, five points if they score dramatically more than you, uh, four points if they score a little bit, you know, eight points or more than you, but uh, for a regular victory, it's three. So you can help your team by losing but keeping it close. <laughs> and just everything's earned out there, you know. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things that was very interesting, the reason I said all that was to say a lot of what's already inside these young athletes was shown at these NCAA championships. Many of the wrestlers have a strong relationship with the Lord, and when interviewed, they would give praise to the Lord, you know. Um, And one fella that actually lost, he's heartbroken because he lost, still came out to cheer on not only his teammates, but a kid he knew from the past that was wrestling, and that kid won. And he was as happy for him as he had won. might have helped that he'd won one the year before, you know. So he's got one already. He wanted more, but he had lost. What a disappointment. One fella that's much touted in the NCAA wrestling world, he'd won like 60 matches in a row, he lost in the semi in the... Uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, somewhere in there, he lost sixty match win streak over, and uh, he didn't show up for the next matches. You know, and sixty matches in a row. He, uh, I won and you lost, and he wasn't ever a, a braggadocious kid or anything like that. You know, but yeah, it's easy to stand up there and get your hand raised. But what was really in the character and what needs to happen for him was shown when he lost that match. And when his team needed him for a few extra points the next day, he medically forfeited out the rest of the tournament, but he was just emotionally distraught. Well, um, he obviously delighted himself in his identity being formed around being the champ for the fourth time in a row, along with others with champs that are fourth time in a row. And I don't want to pick too hard on him. Life's hard. Things are tough. But David says... If you delight yourself in the Lord, it'll give you desires of your heart. And that's gonna change to where you can be like the David Carr fella who even though he lost his match, his real delights in the Lord and so he's won a lot, he's lost some crushing matches, he was still out there to cheer others on and uh, you know that sort of thing. And we have to remember that because there are some hard things. If we put our stock in, if we delight ourselves in our circumstances, circumstances go south on us in a hurry. And so it's all the easier to be a gracious and godly person when you keep that in perspective. You've given the king his heart's desires. You've not withheld the request of his lips. David modeled that except for the one time he didn't, right? (laughs) And when he didn't, there was terrible consequences to his sin. Forgiveness, yes, but terrible uh, consequences. We look at verse 3. He says, For you meet the king with the blessings of goodness, you set a crown of pure gold upon his head. I like that phrase, that you've met him with the blessings of God's goodness. Met with the blessings of God's goodness. Can you testify to that, that you've been met with the blessings of God's goodness? Um, now, I don't have a crown of gold on my head, but God has met with me with the blessings of goodness. You know, I'm so thankful for the ways that he has led and even the times I wondered about it, you know. Looking back, I can say, yeah, that was good. That was good that he led this way. And uh, hitherto, the Lord has helped us. Right? Is the what, help me out here? What um? What Bible name means hitherto the Lord has helped us? It's the name that's in some Baptist churches and other Baptist churches. I think. I think I'm right about this. Is it Ebenezer? It's Ebenezer, right? Like the old hymn, "I'll raise up my Ebenezer." Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Hitherto the Lord has helped. So I believe that's the one. We're going to say it is. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll correct the record if it's not. I but it from I, the Psalm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, brother. That's good, Donnie. Um, verse four. What did David ask? He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. And verse five, his glory is great in your salvation, honor and majesty you have placed upon him. And I really like that. The king's glory is great in your salvation. Uh, Just the knowledge that we're put here to glorify God and honor him. David had earthly honors and kingly majesty, but the thing he glorified most in was God's salvation. Um, It reminds me of what Jesus said when his disciples came back. Do you remember? They came back and he'd given them authority to cast out demons and uh, to heal people. And they came back and said, wow, that was a rush. We got to do what you did, Jesus. We, we laid hands on people and they were healed. We saw people agitated because of demonic influence and we were able to cast them out. That was a real rush. Uh, circumstances were good. They were on a high. And what did Jesus tell them? You remember? Anybody? Don't rejoice in that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Remember that? That's kind of what David's saying here. The king glories in your salvation. Uh, I, I, I can picture old David. I can picture him on a great day where he got to dress up in all the kingly gear with the crown of gold on his head. I can imagine him on a day like that, glorying in God's salvation. You know, But I can almost also see him there in the cave You know, on the run from Saul uh, and uh, still glorying, not in his circumstances which weren't so good at the moment, but glorying in God's salvation. And his faith shining through at times like that, too. By the way, that's Luke chapter 10, verse 20, where Jesus said, Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Verse 6 For you have made him blessed forevermore, you've made him exceedingly glad with your presence. It's cool to think we're blessed forever, and we are as Ephesians 1 teaches. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes like to point people back to Ephesians 1 when you. I'm talking to somebody and they're wondering, well, I'm a Christian, what does that mean for me? Say, well, turn to Ephesians 1 with me. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, are just one long run-on sentence in the Greek language. (laughs) If you're trying to diagram it in English as an English sentence, it it would just knock you out. I mean, and actually, Peter has one very similar to it, and he's talking about some of the things, things, same things that Paul is in Ephesians one. He's talking about the, uh, the just the who you are in Christ and all that you've received because you're His. Go ahead and turn uh, for the sake of that to Ephesians one. So we've got that in front of us. Now let's see if just looking at Ephesians one, we can together in those 11 verses that's just one long verse in the Greek language, let's see if we can identify at least 10 things that it says about believers because we've been blessed with God's salvation. So you look there at verse 3, and we'll go down through 14. We won't necessarily read it together right now because people can read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. But look down through there, and let's see if we can pull out 10 things that it says about us, and, you, and, I, and I invite you to walk people through. If you have a, a child or grandchild or a neighbor uh, or a, um, somebody that you're influenced and say, hey, let's take a minute and look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I know you trust Christ, and I do too. Let me walk through with you all it says that we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, give me one of them. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. Okay, so we're blessed with... Every spiritual blessing. So if you're a Christian, you have been blessed. Good. What else? Chosen. Chosen before the foundation of the world. That makes your head hurt, because all you remember was you heard the gospel and believed. You walked through the salvation door, and on the other side it said chosen from the foundation of the world. So we're blessed. We're chosen. What else? Predestined us to adoption. Predestined us to adoption. So God had a destiny laid out for us. We'll go ahead and throw in the word adoption too. that this uh, destiny was to be adopted into God's family. So in addition to earthly family, we've got a spiritual family. We're a child of God, so that's pretty cool. What else? Uh, on, on that word predestined, I heard something this week on a, in a sermon, and he said that in the Bible, the predestined is only, the, the saved are the ones that are predestined. Huh. And the loss could be, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, like we were chosen for the foundation of the, Yeah. the yeah. Uh, uh, works that he, uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, about, that we're to do, were designed before the beginning mm-hmm. of the world. So predestination deals with, with the believers. Yeah, I like that. Uh, one thing I, you know, I always encourage people when they're hung up on the big words, predestination, election, etc., to look at the context and see why God told us that, because all all that can do is make our head hurt, right, that uh, whatever all those concepts are. Um, But like Romans 8 says uh, that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So what is the destiny of a believer? It's to become more and more like Jesus until they die. Eddie said it good in a prayer today. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected, right? Um, You know, so. And we're perfect in Christ positionally and we're being per- perfected for the moment to come. And that's what our destiny is, you know to be more and more like Jesus until we die. So that's good. Okay, where are we at? We're at four, right? We've got blessed, we've got um, uh, chosen, we've got predestined, we've got adopted. What else? We've redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. So if we're redeemed. That's the fifth one. I'm gonna drop that down to the verse before and verse six and there's a beautiful word in there. What are we in the beloved? Accepted. Okay, let's get, so we're accepted. You ever struggle with acceptance? Um, well, golly, uh, we're accepted uh, in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved uh, because of our faith. What else? Forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, that's right. It's right there too, isn't it, there in verse seven? Redemption and because of the blood, forgiveness of his sins, excellent. What else? Uh, I guess Ephesians, uh, verse nine, uh, he gives a spiritual sight. Okay, excellent. Knowing the mystery of his will. Okay, we've got a knowledge we didn't previously have. That's a good one. So that's eight. We're up to eight. We're getting there. We've done it. How about uh, verse 11? Uh, what have we obtained? An inheritance. Yeah, an inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance. By the way, if you work through, you're going to get more if you work through this later on your own. It's just so full and rich and makes you think about other things, too. Uh, let's look at verse 13 uh... it says having believed you were what sealed with the holy spirit of promise the next verse says "Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory so we've got the holy spirit has sealed us and he's inside paul was so excited to tell them all the blessings they have in christ that he did this one long long run-on sentence and that is a lo- that's a lot to digest in it verse three to fourteen just one long sentence in the greek language which is pretty cool and there's one in First Peter like that as well that we'll identify another time. So let's get on back to Psalm 21 now. Very good. <laughs> what makes you exceedingly glad? Your team winning the big game or competition, getting a tax refund, things going your way. Uh, but there are times you lose the big game. I mentioned the wrestling illustration here. You have to pay more taxes and things don't go your way. Uh, those are all circumstantial things, but... We can still be exceedingly glad in the presence of the Lord, and of course, that's a real challenge to us. We're down here, bound up in time and space, and we like things to go our way. Uh, but uh, just the challenge there is. Uh, Donnie shared with us the great verse: "Let your light so shine before men." Uh, when when things have gone our way. Um, People looking on say, well, gosh, they got it going on for them. They got it going on for them. And I admire them. And maybe if I read their book on being a success, I can be a success too and that sort of thing. Um, man, they've got such a great countenance and they're great to be around and things like that. But, um, but then people also see us sometimes when things don't go our way. And if they also see faith and serenity in the midst of handling tough things, disastrous things, hard things during that time, man, that's when a lost world looks on and says, man, they've got something I don't have. They've got got Jesus in their heart and life. I don't see how anybody could get through what they've been through. And it can only be by the grace of God, God's goodness, the power of the Spirit, et cetera, that, that got them through. And so, you know, I think it helps to think about that a little bit as we go through life, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, eyes are on us at all times. um, And everybody reacts well when you win the game. But when you lose the game, when bad circumstances come your way, that's when others see that you've got a supernatural presence in your life. There's natural reactions, then there's supernatural reactions that can only be accounted for because you're a child of God. Obviously, this was why David could say what he said in verse 1. The king will have joy in your strength. Sometimes we don't have the strength. Sometimes we have failed. We've blown it. We didn't have the outcome we wanted. And, uh, but God is still strong for us. Now, the king trusts in the Lord, verse 7 says, and through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved. And if I don't teach you anything else on these Sunday nights, I want to at least teach you one key word. And many of you have already nailed it down because of our time together. The word mercy in the King, New King James there is our famous word, Kased, God's never-failing covenant love toward those who become his people by faith. Um, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham became a lifelong uh, recipient of the cassette of God, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his faithful love. And if you've got an ESV Bible, it's always translated steadfast love. If you have a Holman Christian Standard Bible, it's always translated faithful love. The King James, New King James, they'll go with loving kindness, they'll go with mercy, I read a translation recently that was more of a one-man translation just to emphasize some things uh, related to the Jewish parts of Scripture coming over into the New Testament. And every time he translates it, he translates it with the word grace, which is pretty close to what we're talking about there. Um, the Greek word for grace in the New Testament is charis, uh, and kesed, um was just God's unmerited favor. Um, that he had chosen to bestow on Israel and we get that grace in Christ. And what a wonderful word. So King David trusted the Lord and wanted his people to trust in the Lord. Now, there's quite a contrast between the key words in verses one through seven and the key words in verses eight through 13. Verse one through seven, almost all the words were positive, weren't they? Blessings, goodness, life, glory, salvation, honor, majesty, trust, kesed, or mercy, loving kindness. But in verses eight through 13 in the second section, I mean, it just, even as I read it again tonight, it just really (laughs) went to a chill pretty quick there. The words are negative, enemies, hate, anger, wrath, destroy, evil. So David goes from the blessings for those that call upon the Lord, the eternal blessings, to judgment for those who rebel against Yahweh. So verse eight, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You ever try to run from God? (laughs) It's futile, isn't it? Um, Futile to try and run from God. He will catch all those who defy him. Uh, So what a powerful thought. Your right hand will find those who hate you. Um, God always has the last word. I've always been struck by that phrase. God will always have the last word. Um, Hebrews nine twenty seven. what does it say? It is appointed unto man once to die, and then what? And then the judgment, right? There's an evaluation coming. Uh, verse nine is uh, so, um, it almost makes you shiver. Because look what he says, you will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath. So we're talking about those that are, Enemies of God, they hate God, rebels against God. Can you think of a time in the history of Israel where people were swallowed up uh, in uh, under God's wrath? Uh, the time of Korah. Yeah, yeah, way back in the uh, first five books there in the Pentateuch, Korah, <laughs> Why does Aaron get to be the priest? I'm also from the family of the Levites. Why don't I get to be the priest? And God and Moses tried to talk to me, but he you know he led others astray, and they just rebelled. They wanted to rebel against Aaron. They wanted to rebel against Moses, and uh, you know that's one of those beautiful sections where God uh, kind of singles people out. You know, uh, not in a good way. Remember uh, to Joshua, uh, he when. Um, there had been the sin with Achan in the camp and Ai, and Joshua said, okay, here's, tw- here's all the tribes gathered before, and everybody stepped back except the tribe of, and it wound up being the tribe Achan was in. And within that tribe, okay, everybody stepped back except the family of, you know, boom, and it came down, and Ai was standing alone, and he was out. And God did something like that during Korah's rebellion, and, and uh, you know, the one left standing was Korah. And uh, sure enough, in God's wrath, the ground opened up, Before them and swallowed him and the other rebels up. Not only will God find the wicked who try to hide from him, he will punish them. So, uh, this is the lot for those that rebel. Um, You know, I think about Israelites around a campfire at night. They're pulling out Psalm 21. Somebody's bringing out the guitar to the stringed instrument, you know, to lead out there in song. And, um, they were hearing about the latest enemy excursion, um, and people really just with their pagan gods hating uh, Israel's God Yahweh, and how comforting it must have been to sing a song like this. It really is blessed to seek the Lord, and God really will deal with His enemies. You know, and uh, you know I used to um, I used to fret a lot more as a young Christian in America you know, as I saw passages like this and said, oh, no, I need to make sure that I say, you know, that God is a God of love, and, and, and He is, and He is. But, uh, you know, the older I get and the more I see, you know, uh, people raising their hand in defiance against the Lord, the more grateful I am, you know, that He will be glorified no matter what. He'll be glorified in the salvation of all who repent and turn to Him, and that includes any the wickedest person on earth, but uh, if you remain shaking your fist at God, He will also be glorified in the judgment of unrepentant sinners. And, you know, I've, I've learned to really uh, embrace Psalms like this, even with his stark language. It makes me think of Jonathan Edwards in his sermon. Do you remember what it was? The one that started a, an awakening in America's past?
0: Sinners in,
1: the of an sinners in the hands of an angry God. And uh, his text was from Deuteronomy 32 35. And Deuteronomy 32 35 says, Their foot shall slip in due time. And Edwards in that sermon pictured, uh, you know, um, for the wicked, the ones that won't repent, it's as if they're a spider dangling over uh, the fire, uh, and only the grace of God is holding on, and that could snap at any time. Their foot could slide at any time. And I think that some of, look at verse 10, it says here, their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. They think they're going to last forever, they will not. This is all just stark language, not to say that someone can't repent. The scriptures are full of opportunities for the wicked to repent. Ezekiel 18 says God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wished everybody repent and live. But it's amazing how foolish, sinful people think that they can you know make decisions today and they're not going anywhere they can buy up the entire city you know and put casinos up and you know that are going to mess up so many people and as you know i think about our callous national politicians that have major issues to deal with related to financial things for america and they just keep kicking the can down the road you know for later generations some implosion that's going to come and we'll never recover from it you know uh probably you know and uh, it just makes, there's a lot of things out there like that that just get you upset and mad, you know. Um, I think about, in a dramatically different context, uh, how long did Adolf Hitler um, imagine the Third Reich lasting? A thousand years. Yeah, yeah. What we're gonna do will last a thousand years. There was a First Reich, there was a Second Reich. German Germany's noble past with the rulers, you know, and stuff. We're gonna bring the Third Reich in and it will last a thousand years. Now, he wrote Mein Kampf, I think, in the 1920s and by the mid-40s was dead in a bunker in Germany. A thousand years turned into 20 or less. It was as if he was shaking his fist at God and they were trying experiments that just showed how much they degraded the individual, you know. The perfect person was in the evolutionary scheme of Charles Darwin, the white man, you know, and uh, everybody else is less than, and we'll treat them as less than, and we'll move forward like that. One of the most, horri- one of the most horrifying connections people almost never make is what Hitler had in mind was simply uh, taking Darwinian evolution to its logical extremes. Uh, the philosopher Nietzsche reflected on Darwin, and he said, you know, um, Nietzsche said that. It's the survival of the fittest. And that those that are fit have a more responsibility to take on, um, you know, to take on perfection and keep on moving forward. They need to eliminate the weak from their midst. The philosopher (coughs) Nietzsche said things like that. He was bringing Darwinian evolution forward. There needs to be a superman who, you know, has the has the strength and the power, you know, to go ahead and be all he can be even at the expense of the weak. And all Hitler was doing was saying, we need to be the super race, you know, that does that. And um, he imagined, and I think about, you know, how some of his ideas uh, went along with, you know, that he was corresponding to people like up in Stanton, Virginia, at the Daydart J. J. Net Center that believed in sterilizing the weak and the uh, mentally uh, handicapped and, you know, those type things. But he imagined it going a 1,000 years. It didn't even make it 20. And, um, you know, I love to see not only the bravery of World War II soldiers from America and other parts of the world that helped stop him, but also things that only God can control. In Russia, it was the Russian winter that pretty much stopped Hitler dead in his tracks. You know, uh, snow just keeping on coming. And those winters are hard anyway. But God said, here's where the uh, Eastern Front's going to stop anyway uh, with this snow coming in. And I love how you can see God's miraculous preservation during the D-Day invasion and other things. You know, everything just working out perfectly uh, to take him out. Now, the words in the psalm here don't mean that people within generations can't repent and turn to God. But it does mean that the unrepentant that follow in the ways of the wicked will not be around on the new earth or the godless systems that produced them. Uh, I see a lot of the Beatitudes in this psalm in this sense. When Jesus gave the Beatitudes uh, in Matthew 5 there, he talks, every Beatitude is the opposite of the way the world works right now. (laughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be satisfied. Well, the world says it's not that you would deny yourself and hunger after righteousness, it's that you would go and try to get this pleasure and that pleasure and that pleasure, and if you do that, you'll be satisfied. But the number one rock song of all time by Rolling Stones magazine was the Rolling Stones song, I can't get no satisfaction, but I've tried how I've tried. Yes, I've tried. And so down here, people seek for satisfaction and pleasurable experiences and other things. They're not satisfied. Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. He said, blessed are the meek, right? For they will inherit the earth. Well, that's not the way the world thinks. Blessed are the strong and powerful and most intelligent. They can have their way on the earth. And uh, that's the kind of mindset that I see and think of when I think about the wicked described in the last part of the Psalm here. They think they're gonna be around forever. They think it's gonna be their way and their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids are all gonna inherit uh, you know, the, the, the world that they've created that mocked the things of God and mocked God's people. And uh, boy, do they have it coming to them. Verse 11, for they intended evil against God. They intend an evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Wow. I think about all the godless systems, political systems, and other things that, uh, <clears throat> you know, like Ronald Reagan used to say, right, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. <laughs> it says here, they devised a plot which they're not able to perform. And... Um, and, you know, you've heard of the term gaslighting. What really amazes me is that um, when these plans inevitably fail, uh, you know, if the godless also have all the systems of conveying the information, then they turn around and say they still blame the other guy or the other ones that came before them for why it failed, when in reality anything that's built on godless lies is destined to fail, Right? So, if you don't reinforce things like that, God made them male and female, and then reinforce things like marriage and the beauty of marriage, and the old rhyme is still the case first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby, and the baby cares. You know, if you reinforce other things instead, you're going to live to reap a whirlwind. And uh, one of the most frightening things happening in the Western nations, including America, right now is. As people are jacked up on porn and um, marriage is being delayed out and things like that, uh, increasingly young men don't even have the desire uh, to um, be a husband and father uh, one day. And they say that actually the seed or sperm count within men is actually going down because of these concentration on other things. And it just makes me think about how those that wanted to attack and destroy the nuclear family uh, now have a huge problem, uh, that we are below the numbers of those we need to reproduce to sustain our Western way of life. And of course, it's also even more pronounced the more godless a system gets. So I think about China, you know, that had their one-child policy, and then they realized we don't have enough babies being born to take care of the elderly when they get older. And so we're gonna make that a two-child policy. Now some places are saying three, but because for 30, 40 years they didn't live like that, now future generations of Chinese are saying, we're not gonna live like that. So here were thoroughly godless designs, and the scripture says children are a heritage from the Lord. And for their communistic reasons, China has you know, messed themselves up. And for our secular hedonistic values in the West, we have messed ourselves up as we have developed these godless plots and systems where we've torn the fabric of the nuclear family and now we find ourselves in a frightening, dangerous place. And God help us, we desperately need revival. But the point in verse 11 is the heirs will not get to enjoy the fruits of their father's wickedness. They too will lose out if they don't repent. It brings us to verse 12. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Hmm. So uh, they think they're going to get away with it, but they will not. Uh, Their wicked actions will come back on their own head One of the things I love about the story of uh, Esther is how, and and of course, just a couple weeks ago for our Jewish friends was Purim, which they celebrate with the events of Esther and God's protection of his people against wicked forces throughout history and stuff. Haman wanted uh, Mordecai to die and he erected this big gallows for Mordecai to die on. He had wicked plots and intentions against Mordecai, the faithful Jew, the man of God. And uh, what a powerful story Esther is when Haman winds up hanging on the gallows that he had erected for Mordecai. And verse 12 gives us a little bit of that. Uh, they think they're going to get away with it, but you'll turn them back. The arrows will hit them right in the face. Verse 13. "Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise. We'll sing and praise your power, your power. So the combination of the truths in verses one through seven and then verses eight through 12 make those with faith in God rejoice and we're gonna rejoice at this loving and just God. So uh, I put as the last thought here, the main theme of the Bible is well reflected in this psalm, the glory of God. God is glorified through the forgiveness of repentant sinners who trust in him, but he will also be glorified in the judgment of unrepentant sinners that refuse to repent. Um, and so, what are you rejoicing in? That which is temporary, or that which is eternal, that which won't last, or that which will? Psalm 21's a great reminder in a world that constantly, uh, you know, has the, you know, the... the the greek story of traveling through the waters and hearing the siren songs and wanting to go apart and go into the sin you know uh that 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 call from the world is constantly coming at it this morning we reflected on a fellow in the bible named demas who deserted the faith because he loved this present world um you know the the, the world the flesh and the devil right Uh, first john says avoid that do not love the world or the things in the world. Instead, love God who loves you, and find your joy and your strength in Him, and He will see you through, even if you have some difficult days.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today.